Coming up next. In fact, I don't think it can even wait. We just want to talk some Hamlet, right, Brandon? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to be great. My name is Nathan. I am your humble and obedient host. I am joined by the ghost Brandon himself. How's it going there, Brandon? Good. How are you, Nathan? Oh, you know, I've got some good news. Really? Yeah. The good news is I have all of, or I've had, where did it go? Oh, that's weird. I opened two windows on my computer. I have all of the study questions from sparknotes.com. The authors of No Fear Shakespeare's edition of Hamlet pulled up. And today we are playing rapid fire Nathan quizzes Brandon on Hamlet. Nice. Are you ready for this? I don't think I have a choice. Is Well, we always have a choice. If Hamlet teaches us nothing else, doesn't it teach us that... To die, we have a choice. to sleep. Perchance to dream. dream. Yeah. If only this were a dream. Well, it is a dream. If you're using dream in the sense of like, he was a dream to work with, or it's been my dream to appear on a great podcast... All right, Brandon, you ready for this? Yeah. These are a selection of frequently asked questions about Hamlet, and I'm actually able to click on the answers here, so... Are you going to help me? What's in it for me? I mean, makes it more interesting for the listener, so they don't just listen to me answer a bunch of questions. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, I'll I'll help you. Of course, of course. I I always help my good friend, Brandon. All right, question number one. Is the ghost real? What? <laughs> like, are we supposed, to ima- we supposed to imagine it's just a figment of, like, five guys' imagination? <laughs> so, you are saying that the... So, your contention is that that's actually a stupid question. Mike, yeah, I am content. I, I understand where the question's coming from. It's supposed to be deep and psychological. <laughs> but in this case... Oh, wow, but, but you despise anyone no, who well, so No, well, psychological question. questions are only good questions if they make sense with the plot of the play. And in this particular case, Shakespeare's very careful to have reliable characters, such as Horatio, see the shake, uh, ghost first. And he's not making it up. What about the Gertrude scene? Hamlet sees mean? the ghost, she doesn't, all that stuff. I mean, yeah, sure. What, what about it, Nathan? <laughs> I don't know. I, I suppose that could be... Ooh, folks, we are getting messaged by Jake here. He was supposed to be here. He says he managed to leave his computer at Parlor Donuts. Oh, that's not good. Which is now closed. Okay, well, Jake won't be joining us today. He left his computer at Parlor Donuts, so lots of prayers to Jake's computer. People at Parlor Donuts are very nice, and they have delicious donuts. They have cronuts, actually. You you big cronut fan, Brandon? What? Cronut, it's like you take a... Some donut batter and you you kind of deep fry it. I don't know exactly what it is. It's like cronut. I'll just look up the definition. It's croissant. It's it's like a donut fried croissant. Oh. Um, no. I never had one, so I don't know if I'm a big fan or not. Well, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so you're talking about act three, but... Yes. I mean, my sense of that particular act is two things. One, we're supposed to be questioning Hamlet's sanity, so it's not so much... In that particular scene, yes, maybe the ghost is not there. Maybe it is a figment of his imagination. Right. Maybe he's seeing things. There's also the idea that maybe his father, which is the way I have read it, I think pretty much every time I've seen it, 
is it maybe his father's choosing not to show himself to the mother. Yeah. I think that's fair. Well, okay, so there is another interpretation that is frequently banded, bandied about. About. Bandied wow. about. Branded about. Yeah. Mm, brandy. B- mm, bandied. Brandy bra- was a fine girl. What a what good, a good wife, wife she would she be. She would be. But my life, my love, my lady is the sea. Is with my backstabbing brother who killed me for the throne. Which is that the, Hamlet even mentions something to this effect at some point in the play. It's the idea that this could be another spirit. It could be a demon or a sprite, or it could be somebody who's from the great beyond who's just messing with him. Someone who's giving him fake information, fake news, actually. Claudius did not necessarily kill dad, whatever dad's name is, old Hamlet. Do you give any credence to... Well, that makes more sense than whether or not the ghost is real. Yeah, right. I mean, sure. Maybe it's some demon playing havoc on this family and taking the form of his father. And so, therefore, it can choose who it appears to. Right. Makes I Hamlet, guess here's a question. Makes Hamlet Does... seem insane, but Claudius... I mean, that makes... That actually fits a little bit. That fits pretty well with the David Tennant performance because Claudius doesn't seem like such a bad dude in that play. No, I think... I actually think when played properly, Claudius should make a plausible king. It shouldn't be like he's just a hand-wringing schemer standing in the shadows. I think if you just look at the text, Claudius is not... I mean, he's, he, may, he may well be a bad dude, but... Yeah, I mean, he, there's some sense in which this play is very psychological in the sense of Hamlet and the questions around his sanity, but it's also like a proto-Gothic novel. And then I think that there are lots of elements that are just supposed to be question marks. Right. Such as the reality of the ghost, such as the reality of Hamlet's sanity the reality of what actually happened to his father. All these things are never really answered. No, they're not. I guess I've never, I've, I've always taken it for granted that his mission basically is correct. You know, that he's not wrong that his uncle or his father was murdered. I don't know that I've ever seen a production that totally makes that an open question. Like, mm-hmm. is Hamlet totally losing his mind? I'm just trying to think. I don't know. Do you think that there's a possibility that the old king actually wasn't murdered the no, way that Shakespeare I think, said I think, I think he was murdered. It's just more of a question as to who. Right. And how. And like you said, that's part of the part of the fun. All right. Spark note question number two. Mm-hmm. Does oh, Hamlet better con- than I thought. Yeah. These 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 might not be so bad. Does does Hamlet consider suicide? This is a trick question. <laughs> I don't know. I can click on it and see what they say. See what uh, when Hamlet asks to be or not to be, he is asking himself whether it is better to be alive. So, it's just asking whether or not you understood that. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Okay. Monologue. Yeah. Okay. That's a dumb question. Thanks a lot, Spark Notes. Maybe you should fear Shakespeare. Oh, okay. This one's kind of... I, I, I don't... Okay. We, we, we'll get to another good question here soon, but this one might be another bad one. Did Hamlet and Ophelia have sex? What? Like where? <laughs> in their bedchamber? I don't know. Did did Hamlet and Ophelia, like off screen, you know, like off stage, did, are, are we supposed to understand that they have had a sexual relationship? I mean, I guess it would explain some of why she's so devastated as to what happens, that there's an affection that's beyond what's proper. Yes. So, the... I'm guessing there probably are some lines that would actually hint at one way or the other, right? Yeah, so I'll, I'll give the evidence that Sparknotes gives here. 
They say that Hamlet teases Ophelia with explicitly sexual puns, such as shall I lie in your lap, my lady, right before the, the stage play. Oh, yeah, that's really spicy stuff. That is spicy. I probably shouldn't have even read that on the podcast, honestly. Oh, okay. Well, okay. This next one, I could at least see why they're saying it's... Oh, it's that famous line, hey, remember that time we had sexophilia? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about that line. (laughs) Yeah, no. Yeah, I forgot about that line too. All right, done and done. Yeah, that's that's a closed, open and shut (laughs) case right there. No, it's all of Ophelia's songs when she's gone completely mad. She's singing about dead fathers, but she's also singing about... As Sparknotes puts it, premarital sex. Uh, Quote, quoth she, before you tumbled me, you promised me to wed. Unquote. She's she's doing a little wrestling class together. Yeah. Yeah. Wrestling class. I feel like Brandon doesn't really respect this question, listener. What do you think? I have so much respect for this question. It's uh, (laughs) it's, it's absurd. Uh, I have all the respect. I have. Let's make this question great again. Let's make this question great again. My my real answer to the question is it doesn't really matter. Who cares? Doesn't make that much of a difference. Sparknotes trying to get teenagers interested. That's who cares. Yes, yes, indeed. Oh, okay. Here's a good one. I mean, it's a basic like high school question, but it's a good question. Why is Hamlet so cruel to Ophelia? Why is he so cruel to Ophelia? Yes. Oh, uh, I mean, I hate for every question to come back to the same answer. Mm-hmm. But given that this is an extremely realistic portrayal of both someone dealing with the reality of their father's death and the tension that surrounds it and all the stress and frayed relationships that come out of that sort of mentality, it's pretty accurate that he would treat the woman who's trying to love him that way. Yeah. I think Hamlet despises himself and he, not not to get all Jungian or Freudian or whatever the heck it is I'm doing, but he externalizes that feeling and... He ends up mistreating just about everyone who comes into his sphere. Yeah, I mean, we see this in like if you any any good mobster movie. Yeah, worth its salt. You see that the guy who ends up getting the authority and is just surrounded by, or like Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul, those sorts of shows. Right. The person who eventually allows himself to get into the situation where his mind is going to lose itself because of all the anxiety and fear. In those cases, it's because of their bad choices with Hamlet, it's because of whatever fate has brought him to this position. Mm -hmm. But it's still something about Hamlet that allows him to become this, right? There's something soft and anxious and self-doubting about Hamlet. He's a very modern person, really. Yeah, very much so. But what happens is with that type of person, and I've seen it in myself and seen it in others, is that you do, you begin to just hate everybody around you and you take it out on them. Mm -hmm. It is a form of what do they call it in psychology where you displacement? Displacement, externalization, yeah. projection. Projection, there you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's where you put it off onto something else. Well, and if you're a man and you're full of insecurities and you happen to have a woman in your life, it is very easy to kick her. I, I doubt there's any married man who can't sympathize a little bit or at least understand Hamlet's yeah. aggression. You tend to take out your aggression on the people that you assume will love you anyway. (sighs) Or you think that you hate them for loving you. Yeah. There's a twisted reality to that. Yeah, and there's a twisted reality to precisely because something is weak and needs your help, needs your strength, 
demands more of your emotions and your you, you kick that thing actually that's how that's how twisted we are and now i'm beginning to think that nathan and i both need therapy <laughs> <laughs> well when i say kick i i mean with my foot yeah good i'm glad you didn't mean metaphorically <laughs> no i didn't mean, no I, <laughs> we don't like to track in metaphors on the booking and we don't like anyone that does yeah, no, I mean, the pe- people like to make much of Ophelia and they like to try to flesh out this character. But the fact is, she is by and large collateral damage. And it's just the sad fact of Ophelia. She's one of the most tra- more tragic characters in the play. She doesn't really do anything wrong. But sometimes that's what happens. Okay. 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 Who is Fortinbra? Or Fortin Bross? How do you say that guy's name? The guy does. Yeah. What do they mean? Who is he? Like they want us to give a summary of who yeah, he is. Yeah, this question is dumb. This is this is like a bad high school question on a test or something like that. So I guess you could ask the question: What is it about young Fortin Bross that makes him the hero that survives home of this this turmoil? Well, the easy answer would be he's decisive. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's a manly leader. Unlike Hamlet, who... The little bit you see of him. Right. Very little bit, but... I mean, he invades Denmark while everybody else is squabbling and stuck in their Freudian hot house. Apparently, it's the most commonly... Apparently, this role is one of the most commonly cut roles. Yeah, I don't know how many versions I've actually seen that have Fortinbras. The... Kenneth Branagh has him show up at the end, but... I want to say almost any other movie version I've seen or stage product film stage production I've seen has not had for I don't I don't think the David Tennant had Fortinbras show up at the end did it. <sighs> All right, let's see here. Why doesn't Hamlet kill Claudius right away? Uh, it's a good question. I mean that's kind of the question of the play. That's kind of it's kind of the whole story. Yeah, I think it comes back to the same things we've been saying. This insecurity, this self-doubt and this Hamlet himself doesn't quite know whether or not to believe a ghost at the beginning. Right. And slowly as these things turn over in his head and he ponders death and thinks about his old friend, the skull, has these weird conversations with himself, he draws himself further and further into this scheme where eventually he decides it's time to kill his uncle. And then he hesitates and tries to gather proof and tries to make himself feel more strongly about it and... Then he doesn't want to kill him because he's just said a nice prayer of confession or something like that. You know, his soul will go to heaven at this moment. I don't know. I find that I, I find that aspect of the play. I don't think you need a strict one sentence explanation. I think it's something that we can all relate to because we've all been stuck in circumstances. I think most of us, especially as men, have been in circumstances where we should take decisive action whether it's asking out the girl or asking for the promotion or confronting somebody at church that has a sin that you've noticed or telling your brother not to borrow money anymore. We've all been in circumstances or talking to your children about this or that or talking to your wife about this and that or talking to your husband about this and that. We've all been in circumstances where we know decisive action is required. We know basically what the decisive action should be. But instead of taking that action, we are passive and we wait around and we think it and rethink it and then process it and don't do what needs to be done. I think any modern person can really, I mean, it, it is the great point of relatability with Hamlet. 
in my humble opinion. I agree. I think that's a good answer. Why does Marcellus say... Nope, that's a stupid question. I'm going to skip that one. Why does Marcellus say something is rotten in the state of Denmark? Because something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Yes, correct. What is the significance of the grave diggers? That's an interesting question, actually. What is the significance of the grave diggers and of the, alas, poor Yorick, I knew him well, and all that whole extended famous section, which doesn't really further the plot? What is that doing in this play? Let's see, that's... uh, Which act is that in again? That's act five, right? Is it all the way in act five? I would have said act four, but yeah, act five, scene one. You were right. You get these weird little asides in Shakespeare, so it's not... We have these scenes that almost seem like they don't quite fit. Midsummer Night's Dream, you have the whole play within a play. Right. It happens near the end with Bottom and all those guys. So I think there's that some element of that to it, whereas it's just a scene that Shakespeare thought would be fun to have in the play. But there's something macabre about the scene, too, mm-hmm. where it allows Hamlet to, again, have his soliloquy on mortality and death and all that stuff with the skull of his former jester. Isn't that who Yorick was? Yeah. I do think there's supposed to be something mildly, I mean, even just with the gravediggers himself, there's something almost black humorous, humoresque about the scene. Yeah, do you think it's just a comic relief scene? I don't think so. I mean, there's a lot of banter and stuff there. Yeah, there's a little bit of comic relief, but then also the relief allows itself to transition back into the main part of the play because Ophelia's funeral procession is... You get similar things in Romeo and Juliet, for example, with the uh, kitchen staff and the house staff at the at Juliet's home. Right. So, I mean, I think Shakespeare just would allow himself to have these little moments where there would be elements of humor to lighten the feeling, but also I think it would have been not so unusual at the time because, you know, you're just a couple centuries after the Black Death. Mm-hmm. So, people had this sort of relationship to death and grave diggers and decay that we don't necessarily have today. Right. There would have been, it wouldn't have seemed as strange, I think, to have this element of the macabrely humorous mixed in with the regality of a, there's a lot of weird words in that sentence, of a, of a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's also just that element of Hamlet's descent, too. He's now in a graveyard and he's playing around with his skull. Is kind of a symbolic of his own coming moral and physical death. Hmm. So I think there's all sorts of layers happening in that. Do And I, I do not know the answer to this question I'm asking you because it has been a long time since I have brushed up on my Greek tragedy. Shakespeare loves the contrast between the lower classes and the higher classes. He loves to suddenly go to these, like we have this big high drama happening with all these important people. And then suddenly we're just with the plebes and they're having a funny little conversation that happens in all of Shakespeare's plays. Uh, You know, all the tragedies will always have those moments. Like you were saying with Romeo and Juliet or Macbeth has them or Lear or whatever, what have you in like Antigone or one of those plays, do they have those moments? Do we break away? Like in the strict Aristotle poetry method. Not as much in the Greek tragedies. You'll have it some of the comedies where you'll have a mixing of high and low class. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that. But like is okay. Shakespeare being innovative in mixing those things? Or is that pretty standard by this time? Or 
It was becoming more standard. There were other playwrights who were doing similar things. Maybe Mar- Marlowe, but I think Shakespeare more so than others was standardizing a lot of what we would see as theater. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I haven't read just uh, really widely other Elizabethan playwrights. True. I don't think that Marlowe did too much of it. He's in Thomas Kidd. They're really the only other two that I've read too much of. So, I mean, what I've read of those things has have been pretty... Oh, Tragedy's a tragedy. Comedy's a comedy. Well, just pretty focused. I mean, maybe maybe I'm tended, I tend to be attracted to the ones that are more straightforwardly macabre, but like the Spanish tragedy or some of the Marlowe plays, like it's just one terrible thing after another, one atrocity piled on top of another without a lot of breathing room, really. At least that's my impression of them. And it has been a while. Let's... Let's see here. Mm, that might be all the questions. Well, all the good questions anyway. Huh? How does Hamlet's view of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern change? As You mean like first they're his friends and then he wants them dead? <laughs> I think that's all they're getting okay. So, some of these are just to make sure you read the play. Yeah, some of these are like questions that you'd put on a high school paper kind of thing. but. Uh, Oh, let me see. Let me see if there's any other questions. Yeah, that's that's all the questions. But just for fun, why don't we see if we could... They, they have a quiz you can take. You want to see how well we do? Sure. All right. Whom does Polonius send to France to spy on Laertes? Ronaldo, Ophelia, Guido, or Marcellus? Guido. <laughs> uh, no, it's Ronaldo. I'm pretty sure it's Ronaldo. Where does the ghost appear during the play? The castle Ramparts? Fortinbras tent, the castle ramparts and Gertrude's bedchamber, Gertrude's bedchamber and the great hall. What? <laughs> it's the castle ramparts and Gertrude's bedchamber. Oh, how did Claudius yeah. murder King Hamlet? How did Claudius? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Poisoned him. Where did he put the poison? Where did he put it, Nathan? Does it give you multiple choice? Yeah, by stabbing him through an aris. By ordering him to be hanged, by poisoning his wine glass, or by pouring poison in his ear. Poured in his ear. <laughs> that is correct. What is the university at which Horatio and Hamlet studied? Wittenberg. That is correct. Whose skull does Hamlet discover Yorick. in the churchyard? We already said it was Yorick, the former jester. Which of the following characters could not see the ghost? Marcellus, Gertrude, or Horatio? Gertrude. Who escorts Hamlet on the voyage to England? Who is it, Nathan? Well, our choices are Cornelius and Valtamand, Marcellus and Barnardo, uh, Captain Vesifius and the One-Eyed Thief, or Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I think it might be Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Uh, where do they, Hamlet they and Laertes dead. fight? Yeah, they're dead. Those guys are dead. Where do, where do Hamlet and Laertes fight during Ophelia's funeral? In the woods, in the church, beside the grave, or in the grave? Say that again, sorry. Where do Hamlet and Laertes fight during Ophelia's funeral? In the woods, in the church, beside Ophelia's grave, or inside the grave itself? It is in the woods. Ooh, no, no, no. Apparently, it's inside the grave itself. Yeah, I was done. Couldn't remember if it was by the grave or in the grave, so I was just making up a dumb answer. You jerk. When does Hamlet claim to be able to tell the difference between the when the wind is from the south? Ooh, I'm sorry. What does Hamlet claim to be able to tell the difference between when the wind is from the south? A flea and a fire log, a nymph and a nihilist, a shark and St. Timothy, 
or a hawk and a handsaw. Hawk and the handsaw. That's what I'm thinking too. Yep. Oh, this you should be able to tell us this one, Brandon, but I don't know the answer. In whose history of Denmark did Shakespeare find background material for his play? Oedipus of Thebes, Saxo Grammaticus, Dionysus Finn, or Franz Gutherhausen? In what history of Denmark did Shakespeare get material? Or in whose history of Denmark? Was it Oedipus of Thebes? I'm going to say it's not Oedipus of Thebes. So one of these three things gave Shakespeare his material for Ham from Hamlet, or one of these three writers. Saxo Grammaticus, Dionysus Finn, or Franz Gutherhausen? I'm actually not sure. The Saxo Grammaticus. No, that can't be it. That is correct. That's, about that's, oh. that's it. Good guess. Good. All right, almost done here. Whose story does Hamlet ask the players to tell upon their arrival to Elsinore? Say it again. Whose story does Hamlet ask the players to tell when they get to Elsinore? Whose story does he ask the players to tell when they get to... Oh, um... It's Hecuba, because he says the thing about what was Hecuba to him. Yeah. Why... Okay. Who is the last character in the play to die? You broke up there. Sorry, what? Who is the last character in the play to die? Oh, it's it's Hamlet, isn't it? It is indeed. Who speaks the famous to be or not to be soliloquy? That's Hamlet, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Ooh, in what country do Rosencrantz and Gilderstern die? Whatever Fortinbras' country is, Norway. No, actually, it looks like it's England. Why does Hamlet decide not to kill Claudius after the traveling player's play? We already said that. He is praying. Who speaks the first line of the play? Oh. Bernardo, Francisco, or Horatio? Is it Horatio? I don't think so. No, it looks like it's Bernardo. Okay. Uh, uh, All right. It looks like we got like 70%. Ouch. Yeah, we're somewhat knowledgeable. (sighs) All right, folks. Well, Jake doesn't have his computer. If he was here, then... Boy, would this conversation be cracking and he would have all kinds of insights and stuff like that. But he's not. So I think that's all you're going to get for today. I don't I don't even think we can do donor shout outs without Jake. I don't know. Why don't we shout out all of our donors at once? What what bird do you think all of our donors would be, Brandon? Oh, a phoenix. A phoenix. That's right. Because they're all burning to ash. That's right. Being resurrected. All right. I'm sorry Jake wasn't here. He wanted to be, like I said, he left his computer at Parlor Donuts, folks. So hopefully by the time you hear this, he'll have retrieved it from Parlor Donuts and gotten a delicious cronut. But hopefully it didn't get stolen. Yeah, hopefully. All right. Farewell, Brandon. Good night, sweet prince. Good night, Nathan. 